Good morning. Well, that's one of you. Is the rest of you having a lousy morning? Try it again. Good morning. Hey, man, there we go. That's better. We've got to wake you up. Don't want to. No, it's, it's hot outside and uh, humid outside and inside. And <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, I was sitting back there where Brother Donnie is right, uh, right now. I was sitting back there earlier uh, during sun, or just before Sunday school. <coughs> Excuse me. I, I got over COVID. I don't have it anymore, but I got an itch in my throat. I can't get rid of um, And that cold air from that was blowing on me. Brother Donnie, I'm jealous of you right now because there is no cold air blowing up here. And by the end of this, my shirt's going to be soaked with sweat, but uh, that's all right. Um, just forgive me for that. First Kings chapter 18. Lord put this thought on my heart, and uh, I'll be honest, I, I'm kind of in the, in the in, I'm, I'm in betwixt two messages right now uh, that, uh, that I, that, that I, and I'm not really sure where we're going, uh, but uh, I just want to give you my heart this morning, and uh, I pray that it's a blessing, and I pray that it's instructive in God's word, because the truth is, I got nothing for you, uh, let me say that with better English, I don't have anything for you. Um, I, I, I don't have anything worthwhile to say. Uh, what we do have is the Word of God, and the Word of God is always worthwhile. Amen? It's important for us to understand how valuable the Word of God is. Uh, it's, it is, for the child of God, our everything. Um, it, it's, it, it is uh, the, 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 where we get our faith. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. It's, it's where uh, we get our strength because our strength comes from uh, the promises of God. And guess what? We find those in the word of God. It's good for our correction. It's good for our instruction. It's good for, for our conviction. It's good for everything. In fact, the Bible says, uh, it, it's, it tells us that, that, that all things are given by, or all scriptures are given by inspiration of God. It's profitable uh, for us. So it's important for us to, to value the word of God. So I hope you love the word of God this morning. I hope you value it this morning. You understand that, that, that it has everything that you need for your Christian life. Not just the New Testament. The Old Testament too. Now, uh, this is important because uh, there, are, there are a lot of great truths that are revealed in the New Testament that were not revealed in the Old Testament. But it does not mean that those things weren't seen or there are not things that we can learn in the Old Testament. In fact, Paul tells us that, the, that those things were written for us so that we could learn from them. So this morning, I, I hope to, that, that this message, uh, that, this, that these words that we're going to read and, and the, the, what the Lord has laid on my heart is a blessing to you. First Kings chapter 18, if you would, just as a, to kind of give us an understanding. I, I preached out of this chapter here not too long ago uh, about the, the fire falling from heaven and, and preached preached on it many a times, but there's, there is a phrase here that uh, struck me this two week, about two weeks ago, and I've been kind of meditating and thinking about it, and I was talking to Brother uh, James the other day about possibly doing a series, uh, and I'm not sure, uh, we're not doing the whole series today, but I do want to lay something, uh, maybe the, the base of it, the structure of it, as we begin to move Forward. But we see Elijah here. Uh, he's introduced to us here in, 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 in 1 Kings. And uh, we, we, we find him the prophet of God. He's gone up against uh, uh, and spoken against the king. The king's not happy with him. Uh, uh, the king wants to destroy him. And at this point, we find in chapter 18, uh, he has thrown down the gauntlet to the king, uh, King Ahab, and said, listen, you, let's meet up tomorrow on Mount Carmel, and we're going to have a battle. And we, I preached on this here not that long ago. So, so hopefully... 
uh, this is familiar to you. He, he tells them uh, to bring the prophets of Baal, to bring all the people of Israel, and uh, the prophets of Baal were going to, uh, to, to, to build their altar. They were going to sacrifice to their God. They, they were going to pray and do everything they could. They were going to pray and ask God to, to consume their sacrifice with fire, and, and he would do the same for uh, the sacrifice to God, and, and uh, whoever won, won, and we all know what happened. We know that they, they beat themselves, they cut themselves, they did everything that the, the prophets of Baal did, everything that they could uh, to, to try to garner the attention of their God. But we also remember uh, that, that Baal was a God with eyes that can't see and hands that, that couldn't do anything, ears that can't hear. He's, uh, he's made out of stone. He was a God of their own imagination. And we know that, that Elijah prayed and fire fell from heaven and consumed the sacrifice on the altar. But I want you to see something uh, here that, that, that struck me. It turned, or look with me in chapter 18. Look with me at verse 30. And Elijah said unto the people, Come near unto me, and all the people came near unto him. This is after the prophets of Baal have failed at their attempts. Uh, it says, uh, it says uh, And all the people came near unto him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And Elijah, and Elijah said unto the people, Come near unto me. And all the people came near unto him, and he repaired the altar. It was broken down. So how does an altar get to a place where it, is, it has been destroyed? How does an altar get to a place where it needs to be repaired? See, this wasn't something that happened in a day. It wasn't something that happened in a week or in a year. This was something that happened over generations. Elijah goes on to to ask the people which side they're going to be on. He does that before this, and, and it says they answered him not a word. See, the problem was not necessarily that the altar uh, had fallen down, but the people's hearts had turned from God. I saw a picture this, this last week. I was, I was uh, in doing my Bible study uh, and, 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 and reading and preparing for, for, for this message. Uh, I, was, I was using my laptop or my, my iPad, and I, I was looking at some, some things, and Ezra came in the room, and he, goes, he, was, he looks at me. I'm, I'm on Google, and he goes, Dad, are you really doing your Bible study? And I said, sure. <laughs> what I was looking at were images. It was an image of a, of a car. Of an antique car, I love I love old cars, right? I, man, those things uh, when restored and in their mint condition or souped up or cut down, however, whatever they, they, they could be some really cool cars. I've always my first car was a 1964 Falcon. Uh, uh, the uh, engine had been uh, taken out and replaced. Uh, it used to be uh, a, tr a, a stick, and it was put. Uh, no, sorry, it used to be a three-speed. It was put up on the on the on the, on the stick. It, it was. It, I loved that car. I didn't drive it a whole lot. I was 16. But I, I loved that car, and I still love old cars today. But you know what happens to old cars when nobody drives them? You know what hap would happen to your car if you left it sitting in your driveway and you didn't drive it? The gas would go bad. It would begin to rust. Uh, uh, the sludge would build up in the lines, and one day you'd go out there and try to start it. And guess what? It wouldn't start the battery could die and would die after a period of time. 
There was a photo that I found as I was searching there on Google. It was this old antique car, and it was sitting there, and it, you could tell it was an old antique car because the tires had literally rotted off of it. The, uh, the paint was gone. It was, uh, it was a nice rust color. And there was a tree that had grown up through the engine block. And I don't mean a sapling. I mean a tree this big around. And I said, Ezra, look at this tree. And, and he looks at it, and he goes, he, he goes I don't think that's going to run, Dad. <laughs> I said, it's not. I said, how do you think that happened? He goes, I don't know, but it happened a long time ago. See, somebody had parked it a long time ago. Now, I don't know how good it ran when they parked it. Maybe there were some problems with it when they parked it. Maybe that's why they parked it. Or maybe they were just tired of driving it and decided to drive the new car for a while. But, but somehow, somewhere along the line, that car rusted out, rotted out, and a tree grew up through the center of the engine block so that there was no way that you were going to move that car without cutting down that tree and removing it. Now, here's something that's interesting, though. If you put in enough work, you could fix it. You could cut down that tree. I mean, it would take a lot of work. You'd have to, it was a big tree. You'd have to, you'd have to bring somebody in to, to, to not just cut down the tree because it could fall on the car. You'd have to bring somebody in to, to, to cut the limbs off one by one with a bucket truck and lower the things. It would have taken a lot of effort, a lot of work, a lot of coordination to finally get that car free just so that you could go and restore it. But it could be done. It didn't happen in a day. It happened over a long long time of neglect. This altar that we see here in the word of God was the altar of God. Do we know what altars were used for? We find them all the way back in the book of Genesis when Noah, the first time we find an altar, uh, the word altar in scripture was when Noah comes off the ark and they're praising and worshiping God and thanking him for bringing him through the storm and they build an altar and they sacrifice on that altar in praise and worship to God, thanking him for what he has done and how he has brought them through and saved them alive while nobody else was saved. We, we see in the book of, uh, of, of Leviticus and Numbers uh, what the altar was to be made out of. And, and there were different altars. And in fact, as, as we go through the study, we're, as, as we go through over the next few weeks and as God leads, uh, we'll look at God, the, the altar was a place of worship. The altar was a place of sacrifice. The altar was a place of repentance. The altar was a place of memorial. Uh, there were a lot of things that the, the altars were, were used for. But what happens when you neglect something? It breaks down. And sadly, over the years, this altar had been neglected. This altar had come to a place where when the prophet of God needed to, to show the world, to show the people of God that God is still God and God is still able, something had to be repaired. The rocks had to be replaced because they had crumbled and fallen and been knocked over. Because nobody had been there in a very, very long time. Now we don't use an altar today. And we, we have here a, a, a handmade wooden altar. And, and it's here for people to come and pray. But uh, we're ta I'm talking symbolically, okay? I don't, I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying. Yes, I do believe that people should come and pray at the altar uh, here uh, and, and, and seek the, the place of God, uh, to seek the presence of God, seek God in repentance. And, 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 but you don't have to pray here. You can pray in your seats. You can pray at home. You can pray in your car. You can pray in your closet. You can pray anywhere and, and come and meet with the Lord. But what I want you to understand is it isn't that this altar is neglected. 
It is that the altar is neglected today. And we say we want revival. And we say that we want God to work. And we say we want souls to get saved. And we say that we want God to, to move this and work here and work there and work everywhere. But we won't visit the altar. And if we won't visit the altar, can I tell you what's going to happen and what has happened to the altar in our country, in our churches, in our homes, in our own personal Christian walk? Do you know what has happened to our altar? It has fallen down. And it's in need of repair. Just be honest with yourself. I'm not asking for anybody to raise your hand. But how is the altar in your life today? How is the altar of prayer in your life? Do you have a, a daily time of prayer in your life? Uh, turn with me, if you would, to, I believe it's Leviticus 6. I, I, uh, Leviticus chapter 6. Maybe numbers. But I want to say Leviticus. I'll know in one second. It's, Levit it's Leviticus chapter 6. In chapter 6, we have God giving the law, uh, the commandments of, of how the altar is to be used for the burnt offering here in Leviticus chapter 6. We're starting in reading in verse 8. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Command Aaron and his sons, saying, This is the law of the burnt offering. It is the burnt offering. It is a burnt offering because of the burning upon the altar all night unto the morning, and the fire of the altar shall be burning in it. And the priest shall put on his linen garment and his linen breeches, and shall he put upon his flesh, and shall take up the ashes which the fire hath consumed with the burnt offering on the altar, and he shall put them beside the altar. And he shall put off his garments and put on the other garments and carry forth the ashes without the camp unto a clean place. And the fire upon the altar shall be burning in it. It shall not be put out. And the priest shall burn wood on it every morning and lay the burnt offering in order upon it. And he shall burn thereon the fat of the peace offering. The fire shall ever be burning upon the altar. It shall never go out. Three times in that passage, three separate verses, uh, uh, the Bible says that that fire should never be put out. That it was to be continual all the time. What's interesting about the fire upon this altar is that fire was not man-made. You think about how you, you, you build a fire. You get a, you, we get matches or we get a lighter and we, 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 we get the wood and all the, whatever the things you need to build the fire. This fire, uh, if, we would, if, we would, if we would look, came from the presence of God and consumed the first sacrifice upon this altar and that fire was never to be put out. Do you know why? Because it's the fire of God. It's the picture of the presence of God. It was a picture of the, the power of God. The, 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 it was God, it was a, a consuming fire there upon that altar. Now, something I want you to notice, and something that stuck out to me as I read this, that fire was never to go out. There was never to be a time when there was not a fire burning. They were to put new wood on it every day. They were to keep that fire. They were to stoke that fire. They were to clean out that altar, meaning they were to remove the ashes. Brother Mark, uh, Brother Mark Thren preached a, a message out, out of this passage here uh, two years ago, I believe it was, uh, during revival, about how, how we're to keep that altar clean and, and how, how we're to keep it fresh. And I, I just want to remind us here this morning that it, it takes work. It's, a day, it's daily work if we're going to keep that altar, uh, the presence of God in our lives. 
We've got to stoke it. We've got to feed it with the Word of God. We've got to spend time seeking it and, 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 and praying and, and cleaning out. That's a, that's a picture of the, our confession and, and getting right with the Lord, the repentance that we have. Then you take that and you carry it. And you, they were to take those ashes and carry it out of, out of the camp and, and they were to cleanse themselves. And, and that's how they were to keep it burning. There is a, a passage in 1 Samuel that says the light had gone out of the temple. 1 Samuel chapter 3, I think it is. Why did the light go out? Well, if you remember in 1 Samuel, the, the priest at the time, Eli, he was old. His sons were in sin, and they were working in the, the temple. What happened? They let the altar go out. They began to take advantage of the people that were coming in and, and taking of the sacrifices that were coming in and being brought to God, and they were taking of that. And, and they, were, they were wicked men, and God had approached Samuel, or God approached Eli and told him that this sin needed to be dealt with, but he never dealt with it. So when we, when you read, if you remember the, the story as a child, you heard about God speaking to Samuel, Samuel, Samuel. And God, Samuel thought that it was uh, Eli, and he'd run to Eli because he was sleeping there in the temple. He'd run to Eli and says, what, what would you have me to do? And he says, I don't know what you're talking about. I was asleep. Go back to bed. And finally he understood, uh, the priest understood that was the voice of God. He says, whatever God tells you, go do. And God gave Samuel a message to give to Eli, and it was not a nice message. It was that judgment was going to come because he refused to deal with the sin of his sons. What happened? The light had gone out. The altar, the fire, had gone out. How's your altar this morning? I'm not talking about the, uh, the, 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 the uh, physical altar. I'm talking about the altar that's here. Remember that, that that fire was a picture of the presence of God. When, when Israel would go out uh, through the wilderness, they were led by a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of smoke by day. A picture of the presence of God. When, uh, when, when they were there in, in the tabernacle, uh, and the, the presence of God would come upon that place. Listen, they said the smoke would fill that place. And, and they understood that that was uh, the presence, a picture of the presence of God. How's your fire? How's your altar this morning? Are you keeping it clean? Are you stoking the fire? Listen, it doesn't happen by itself. I had a, I had a fireplace, uh, or, uh, I, have a, I have a pellet stove now, but years ago when I bought my first house in Palermo, I had a wood stove. And it was the first time I had ever owned a house with a wood stove. It was the first house I ever owned. Uh, it was not the first time I ever had to take care of a fireplace. Or, uh, growing up, I had that. So I, I knew how to start a fire. But uh, you know what you have to do? You've got to keep it up. If you're not careful, if you don't do things just right, when you go to bed and you wake up in the morning, you get, there's no fire. There's no hot coals. There's nothing. You've got to start all over again. And you might say, well, listen, that's okay. I just don't, I won't do it today. Well, if you're living in Maine in the wintertime, if you just decide not to start the fire, guess what happens? Your house gets cold. It's kind of funny because our hearts can do the same thing. When we don't start up or stir up that fire of God within us through the reading and study of the Word of God, through time in the presence of God, through our prayer, our hearts can grow cold. Question. 
if that's where we're at, if our hearts are growing cold to the things of God, what will it take to make us want to change? What is it going to take to make us want to change? I'm comfortable. I'm happy. I'm doing the things that I got to do and things that are expected of me. I'm, I, I'm at church on Sunday. I, 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 I go and I, I bring my tithe. I do this. I do that. I, I teach this class. or <coughs> I do all those things. But I'm cold inside. There is, there is a difference between that fire being burning brightly inside of you and you're loving God and you're serving God and you're just excited. And there is, there is a coldness that kind of deadens that. We went to this conference down in New Jersey. I love this place. Now, uh, I, I'm not trying to say that big churches are where it's at. We are not a big church. Uh, but there is something about being in a building of people with people that want to be uh, in the in the in the presence of God. That that and, and when I say this, uh, there the, this place seated over those thousands of people. They they counted the number of kids in the nursery. There were 123 babies to five year olds. That's a that's more than our our whole church. That's how many babies were there. If you add in the kids up to teenagers, it was 723, I believe, is the number. It's a lot of people. In fact, if you didn't get there on time, or actually early, the doors opened at 6.30. If you didn't get there at 6.30, you didn't get a seat. Jess and I and our family got there three minutes after the doors opened, and we had to sit in extra chairs that they set up at, just before the service started because there were no seats. And we weren't looking for seats for our whole family. We were looking for seats for Jess, myself, and Elijah. All the other kids, they had programs and things going on for them. There were not three seats together. I walked in. I wish I could have done, taken a video. The, uh, we learned after that night to come in earlier. And, uh, and uh, so I was there in line trying to get in. And I wasn't trying to, like, push to get a seat. I just, just couldn't sit on those hard chairs again. So, I was, so, so as we came in, I wish I could have videotaped it. It looked like a, 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 an ants, a, a horde of ants attacking a picnic. It's just like from every open door. Whoosh, it, it, was, it was crazy. But one of the greatest things is when we're singing in that place. It's just a taste of what heaven's going to be like. To hear 3,000 voices lifted, lifted up, praising God and singing, How great thou art, or it is well with my soul. It, just, it makes the skin on the back, the hairs on the back of your arms and your neck stand up. And you, no, I'm not saying that that place is any more spiritual than any place else. It isn't about the size of the church. It isn't about the, the building. It was a beautiful building. It wasn't about the, the pastor. It wasn't about the preacher. Because I want, this is what, the whole reason I brought this up is this. Was, every time we've gone there, man, I've been blessed. I've been encouraged. I've been strengthened. Man, I've been on fire from the moment I got there. God, is, God was so good. But this time, we went down there, and you know what happened? The preaching was good, and the singing was tremendous. They brought in, they brought in different, different families that came in and sang, uh, different, different quartets. The, the, the worship service was an hour, uh, an hour long. There were two preachers between, uh, in, every, in every service. They talked about getting out uh, late for church. Uh, we, weren't out, we weren't back in our hotel until 1230 every single, every single night. Late nights. 
church all day. All of it was great. But day number one, I mean, I loved it. Oh. I wasn't really stirred. Preaching was good. The word of God is true and powerful. But there was nothing. It was like heaven was shut off to me. Day number two, uh, we, we go and I'm ready. We're, 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 I'm excited. It's going to be a good day. Uh, uh, some of my favorite preachers are going to be preaching. I, I was excited. And again, that door was shut. I went forward that evening, not because I was convicted by the message or, or encouraged or, or, or challenged, but because there was nothing. Listen, the altars were full of people that were, were, that were convicted. And, and listen, I believe the second night, uh, seven young men gave their lives, to, not, not for salvation, but to, for, to the ministry, to preach. Somebody gave their, their life to, to, to go into the mission field. God was working. But with me, there was nothing. That night I went to bed. But the sadness. I went to bed with a hunger and a desire, and I prayed to God, please, I need to hear from you. I need you to do a work in me. Speak to me. I got up in the morning and I prayed, read my Bible. Listen, I'm not saying I hadn't been praying, I hadn't read my Bible, but the fire was out because that next morning I prayed. I, I said, God, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm fasting today I, until you speak to me. And if wouldn't eat, spend time in prayer. The whole day I'm just praying. Tears, I'm getting ready trying to comb my hair and my beard, which takes longer than my hair. I, 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 I was just tears running down my face. God, please, I just need to hear from you. I'm, and I want to tell you something. I want to share something with you. The book of James says, draw nigh unto me, and ow, draw nigh unto you. Got to that first service, began to sing the songs, and I just fell over. Listen, I'm not talking about emotionalism. I'm not talking about this wave of Holy Spirit excitement that came over me. But the fire had been lit. The messages began to speak to my heart, challenge me, and strengthen me, and encourage me. They weren't any better than the messages the night before. The Holy Spirit wasn't any more powerful. My ear was sensitive to it because I had a hunger for it. There's, there, there's a passage in the Old Testament that I, I preached them before. I've heard many, it says, break up the fallow ground. 
It's, it's talking about uh, the, hard, the hardness of the hearts of the, the, the people of Israel. Their hearts were hardened into the word of God and the moving of, of, of God. And he's telling them, break up your fallow ground. So uh, you prepare the heart. Uh, that, that fallow ground is a, is, is a picture of a farmer uh, t- tilling up the soil that's got, gone hard uh, uh, from lack of use. And he, listen, he didn't say, let God break up your fallow ground. He said, you break up your fallow ground. If your heart has grown cold, if your altar is in disrepair, listen, I want you to understand, it is, yes, it's a work of God in you, but you need to desire it. You need to hunger it. You need to seek it. And it can't be just a simple prayer. Lord, speak to me today. David said, as a deer panteth for the water. There's a heart panting full of water. The, the idea is of, of an animal that's, uh, that's been hunted or, or is in a dry, thirsty land. Uh, it's looking for water. It's, it's thirsty. Its body is aching for it. Its tongue is, 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 is dry. and It's panting for the water. Listen, that's how we are to desire God in our lives. Say, so, well, I'm fine just the way I am. I've got food on my table. My bills are all paid. My TV still is on. and uh, Everything is good. And it may continue to be, do, be so for you. Do you know why? Because Satan has a way of giving us those things that we, that we want to keep us comfortable so that we don't want to move forward in our Christian walk. Well, well nothing's going bad for me. Listen, I, I came back so excited to get up here and preach about what God had done in my life. And I got COVID before I could come back. I was so excited about what God's going to do for VBS. And guess what? My son got COVID. I'm here to tell you, Satan doesn't want good things to happen in this church. Satan does not want good things to happen. Uh, he doesn't want kids to get saved. He doesn't want people to serve. He doesn't want, want us to, 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 to long to be with God or to, to grow any more like him. He wants us to just be comfortable. As long as we don't do anything different, as long as we're just here, then he's okay with us. Listen, he can't take our salvation. So many things have happened, not just with my kids getting COVID this week. Brother Earl about cut his finger off the other day. Uh, uh, people were in the hospital last night. I, I'm telling you, there's a lot of things going on. Here's a question. What do we do with all that? I'm just going to sit here and let my fire go out. Or I can clean out the ashes. I can restoke the wood. And I can pray and ask God to light that fire in me again. Psalm 16. Turn over there real quickly. Psalm 16, 8 says, I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is my, at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoiceth. My flesh also shall rest in hope. Verse 8 there, he says, I. It's a, a, it's a personal pronoun. 
me, I. David said, I have set the Lord before me. You know that there's nobody that can set God before you but you? I can't do it. Now, I'm to, I'm to preach Christ. I'm to preach the word and hold the word high. But listen, all, for, as far as your life is concerned and the direction of your life and, and, and how you're going to live your life and the choices that you are going to make and the way that you're going to walk, that's up to you. Am I going to pray this morning? That's a choice I make. That's a choice you make. The Bible says Daniel purposed in his heart. He made a decision before he ever made a statement. He said, I am not going to sin against God. Too many people are living their Christian life based off of what somebody else has decided for them. Young people, your kids, your teens, I want you to understand, I can't make you read your Bible. Your Sunday school teachers and your parents, while your parents can make you read your Bible, they cannot make you Set God before your life. If you want to live your life for Christ, you have to make that choice. You have to spend the time in the Word. You have to, 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 to seek God and, and, and love God. Nobody can do it for you. We have watched time after time as young people have walked out of church, not just in this church, in churches all across this country, to not turn back. Why? Because they were there, not because they wanted to be there. They were there necessarily, because if they wanted to be there, they'd still be there. They were there because they had to be there. Too many of my friends growing up don't go to church anymore. And I grew up in church. I grew up, all my friends were in church. Too many of them aren't there anymore. The truth, the truth was, their hearts never were. I have set the Lord always before me. If you want that fire to be burning, you have to do it. Now, yes, it's the fire of God, but you have to keep it up. You have to keep it up. He says, I have it's a, uh, that, 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 that second word there means it's, it's something. Uh, not that I'm going to do someday. I've already done it. It's, a, it's, it's, it's in past tense. I have done this. Have you? Now, uh, it's, it's, a, it's, it's something that needs to be done on a daily basis. Paul said, I die daily. Uh, uh, or to pick up our cross daily. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a decision daily. Uh, David said in other passages that, that morning, noon, and night, uh, he, he would pray. He, he prayed in the morning. Uh, he prayed at night. Uh, uh, the Bible tells us to pray continually. Uh, there's, there's a need for a continual walk with God, not an occasional visit. And we're really very good at that, where we, where we go and we live our life, and then we come to church, and then we go live our life, and then we come back to church, Christian life is, should be, continually, always with God. I have. The word set. I have set the Lord. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a place of position. He says, I have set the Lord before me. 
What's before you this morning? There are a lot of things before people today. Sometimes it's our jobs. Sometimes it's our careers. Sometimes it's our families. And, and listen, there's not, nothing wrong with a career. There's nothing wrong with your family. In fact, God's given us those things. Uh, those, those things can be a blessing to us. And uh, our, our wives can, are, are a blessing to us. Uh, uh, you, you men that are married, uh, the, the Bible says, he that finds the good wife, finds the good thing. It's, it's uh, my wife makes me better. Uh, I, I appreciate my wife. But my wife is not to be set before me. You know who's to be set before me? The Bible tells us that Jesus is to have preeminence in the church and in our lives. What is it? Uh, that, that idea of, of being set before him is, 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 is that we're, we're looking unto him, that we're, that we're looking to him, we're worshiping him, we're following after him. What's set before you this morning? Because if it's anything other than the presence of God, there's a problem. As I've set the Lord before me, there's a word there that I skipped. It's the word always. And this is where many of us struggle. Because we love God. But in this life, sometimes he's not always what's right before us. Sometimes there are other things that take his place. Now notice, David said, I have set the Lord always before me. Meaning that he's continually there because David put them to be there continually. Now we know that David didn't always walk in righteousness. David was not a perfect man. Was he? No. He was, uh, he was a hypocrite. He was a failure. He was an adulterer and a murderer. I mean, he was a, not a good guy, but by God's grace, there go with I. But he had a heart for God. And when David was, was, was uh, con convicted of his sin, what did he do? In Psalm chapter 51, we see his response after Nathan said, David, thou art the man. His response can be found in Psalm 51. The, the Bible tells us that, uh, that he went out and wept. But in Psalm 51, he says, I have sinned only before thee, O Lord. Purge me with hyssop, wash me whiter than snow. He understood his sin. He didn't say, well, you know, I didn't have a choice. or, You know, it was her fault. She shouldn't have been out on that rooftop, right? He could have blamed all, all kinds of things. Instead, he took it upon himself and said, I have sinned. Because he had a heart for the Lord. Verse 9 says this, Therefore my heart shall be glad, and my glory rejoiceth. My flesh also shall rest in hope. There, there was a response here in David's life because of where God was in his life. He said, I have set him before me. He's at my right hand. I will always be glad. There's a joy there. You know where that joy came from? From the presence of God. Do you remember what the Bible says in Psalm 51? He said, he said Return unto me the joy of my salvation. What had happened? He was no longer in the presence of God. He said, God, please, I need you. 
It was not a generalized, Lord, I've sinned. It was a heartfelt cry unto God that he knew that he was missing what he'd once had. And God heard him. God gave him grace. God forgave him. And God continued to use him. And I do fully, wholly believe that God returned the joy into his heart. And one of the blessings in 1 Kings chapter 18 is even though that altar had been broken down, even though it had been, uh, it had been neglected for, for, from year, for, for years, <coughs> nobody had been to it. Nobody had sacrificed upon it. It had fallen down. Uh, they rebuilt it. And Elijah prayed. And back in the book of Leviticus, when the fire fell, when they prayed and lit that, that fire was to never go out. And Elijah prayed here at, a, at, a, at an altar that had been neglected. God's command had been disobeyed and his presence wasn't felt or, or, or seen in Israel for years. When Elijah prayed, what happened? The fire fell. And the people said, the Lord, he is God. In the book of Ezra and Nehemiah, we, we find the people in a similar place. Most of, uh, most of Israel has been destroyed. Uh, uh, most of the people have been taken captive. There's a small remnant left. And, and God has put it in the heart of, of, a, of a Gentile king to send back people to rebuild the temple and rebuild uh, the altar and to rebuild the wall. And, and in, in the book of Ezra, in Ezra chapter 3, they get there and, and, and they, they have to lay the, the foundation for the temple. They have to lay the, the, the foundation for the altar. And they do that and they immediately begin to make those sacrifices day after day after day like they were supposed to be doing all along. Can I tell you this? That if your altar is cold, if it's been neglected, it's not the end. Because if we're all honest, even if we're not there now, we have been before. Times in our life when our prayer life was not what it should be, our praise, our sacrifice, None of those things were where they should have been. And God, in his great mercy, did a work in you and I. Listen, if, if, you're, if your altar's cold today, it's time to re rebuild the altar. It's time to clean out the, the ashes. It's time to, 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 to do what needs to be done. And, and, and seeking the face of God. Sometimes it means, that means sin needs to be repented of. Sometimes that mean, it, it means that things need to be cast off and, and in, in the book of uh, in the book of Genesis uh, they would came back to they came back to Bethel one of the altars uh, that uh, we're going to talk about is the altar uh, that, that Jacob built after he saw saw God in his dream and he he built an altar poured oil upon it uh, he took a pillow uh, took a rock which he'd used for a pillow stood it up poured uh, poured oil upon it that was his altar uh, signified this is the house of God this is the presence of God and then he went off and lived his life and guess what there came a point when he came back to Bethel. And do you know what he found when he came back to Bethel? The presence of God. This morning, if your altars are cold, 
Come back to that one. Rebuild your altar. Maybe, maybe you're in a position where you don't even realize it's cold. Or you know it's cold, but you just don't care. That is the most dangerous place to be. It is. Your, your, hard, your hearts are hardened, your necks are stiffened, and you say, I'm just fine where I'm at. Listen, I'm not trying to get people to fill this altar. I'm not trying to, to make myself feel good. I, I, I'm trying to remind you of what God has reminded me. That God's desire for you and I, for every child of God, is to draw nigh unto him and to remain there. To dwell in his presence. Not to, not to visit occasionally. Not to pretend. Because it's easy to pretend. I told my wife on the way home from the, from the conference... What God had done in my heart. We were talking about what our favorite parts of the conference was and, 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 and the favorite messages. And, and, and I, I said, I'll, I'll be honest, my favorite part wasn't the message, any one of them, although they were all great. My favorite part was that God heard my prayers. Because there's nothing greater than being in the presence of God and having God work in your heart. And if you don't have that today, I hope you have a desire for it. Because truly, the Christian life without it isn't worth it. God didn't save us just for a mansion on a hilltop. He saved us so we'd be in his presence through Christ our Lord. Father God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your word. God, I thank you that you are a merciful God. I'm thankful that you love us, Lord. God, I pray that you would help us to examine our hearts. Lord, I pray, God, that you would, Lord, help us to see the truth of what we need. Lord, only you know what we need. Lord, you know better than we do. And God, I pray that you'd speak to each one of us. I pray that our hearts be tender unto you. Lord, we'll thank you and praise you for all that you do. I love you, and I'm so thankful for how you work. Forgive us, Lord. Bless us in Christ's name.